go home right now, I'm perfectly happy. Uh, that first song they sang about was grace. You know, the first time grace is mentioned in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 6, and it said the Lord found grace, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, you know how precious grace is? Grace is, is given, it's, it's there, it's available for everybody, but only those who get saved really understand the grace of God. Uh, the rest of them, they all, it's the grace of God that they don't get them, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But you don't stop at grace. You never stop at grace. That second song, I never tell anybody what songs to sing. I've had people come and say, Brother, what do you want me to sing? Whatever the Lord puts on your heart. Well, yeah, no, don't be saying I've had people say, don't say that. You're, you're supposed to tell me what's, I ain't going to tell you nothing. I'm going to let you do it. Grace, they sung about grace. Then, you know what I've spent the next 43 of my years of my life learning how to do? Realize he's all I need. That was their second song. And you know what you find out in that, in that 43 years, if you wait around, you'll find out he's your friend. Amen. Now, he's the best friend I've got, man. I mean, he has got me through life. He's got me through everything I ever wanted. Everything I ever thought I needed, uh, he provided. And what I've learned over those 43 years is every time he got, I've seen the grace of God. I've just seen it, and it's all over it. And I've seen him apply it to me and have mercy on me. And grace on me. And I understand what that thing is. But it's a whole lot more than that. It's, it's he's my friend. Amen. I need him. I need him. Boy, I like it. I like my King James Bible, man. It's, this is the greatest book in the whole wide world. There ain't another thing in print that matches this thing right here. Not one. And when, when he mentions it the first time, you know what Noah found? Grace. You know what you need to find is grace. Sometimes life is just hard, man. You know what you need to understand is that he has grace on you. Mercy. Then you need to, he'll give you, he'll give you what you need. Maybe not what you want, but he'll definitely give you what you need. And as time goes on, he's your best friend. I'm telling you what, this is Brother Mike, I'll shut up, man. Uh, we got to, we got to, oh, see, if you hadn't brought my glasses, man, I'd have had to wear these. Isn't that cool, man? Somebody gave, somebody gave me these. I don't know what they were trying to tell me. <laughs> but that's Okay. In a, in a time of need, I have I can't lie in the pulpit, brother. They're not cool at all. <laughs> all right, man. I, uh, it's amazing to me when almost every time he's got up here, it seems like the Holy Spirit has us on the same page. He even woke us up at almost the same time on Sunday morning. And uh, he, he had no idea. I had no idea. I'm staying over in uh, purgatory at Brother Joe's. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, I said that right. We're good, right? I didn't. Okay. Um, but anyhow, the Lord, uh, Lord is just reading my message there while he's talking and just those songs too, man. What a blessing to see that. I, I want to take you to a passage of scripture that's pretty common, to be honest with you. You've all heard it before. Uh, please don't rule it out once I tell you what it is, um, just because you've heard it before. But uh, I think what we're looking at here is somebody who lived what they just sang, and uh, probably the greatest example in all the Bible of somebody who lived what they just sang, Jeremiah chapter 18, if you would, in your Bibles, Jeremiah chapter number 18, we'll start reading in verse number 1, Jeremiah 18, 1, the Bible says, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there will I cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. Can anybody relate? So he made it again, another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as with this, as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. At what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. And at what instance I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. 
Now therefore go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you and devise a device against you. Return ye now every one from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, There's no hope. But we will walk after our own devices and we will every one do after the imagination of his evil heart. Pastor, would you ask God to bless the preaching, please? some of our eyes. You open my eyes, Lord, to the Word of God. Lord, as Jeremiah is talking and you're showing him uh, what you can do, Lord, these people have turned their hearts against you. Lord, help us not to do that tonight. Let us have our ears open and our minds attentive to what is being preached to us. Be it Brother Mike as he brings the message to us tonight, Lord, that you put on his heart. Lord, help us to receive it, Lord, and, and show us what we need to do. Lord, we need you uh, more than ever than uh, in life before, Lord, as the time goes on. We need you more and more. Bless this evening, Lord. Bless our preacher, and we'll praise you on you in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I used to have a recurring, almost a nightmare, really. Um, maybe it wouldn't be a nightmare to you, but to me, it, it was a nightmare that I showed up at church on a Sunday morning and nobody was there. Uh, I mean, I, I would wake up in a cold sweat. I, I, can, I can vividly remember that same dream. I'm, I'm there at church. I, I'm getting up in the pulpit by the time I'm realizing, and I'm looking out, and there's nobody in the pews anywhere. And here I am with a message, and I'm thinking, what in the world happened? They're all gone. They're not coming back. How, how did this happen overnight? And, and I'd wake up out of that dream, and, man, it was just like, whew. I cannot imagine what I would do if that happened. Well, COVID hit a few years ago, a couple years ago, whatever it's been. And man, I started thinking, I wonder if that dream was God. I started worrying, and I mean worrying, like man, I was praying hard for my church. One thing I learned to do through COVID was pray for my church family like I'd never learned to pray for my church family before. I was praying for my church family. I was worrying. I was stressing. I was at my max. I'll never forget some of the worst times of my life was that couple months there where we shut down to wait and see what was going on and figure out what was happening. And if you think that I'm the devil for shutting down, please just pray for me and don't let that get in the way of the message, all right? But we did for a little while trying to figure out what's going on. And that was some of the worst times of my whole life, man. I just remember just like trying so hard to control my mind, submit to God and find the peace of God throughout that. And, and interestingly enough, I, I kind of did. And at the same time, I was miserable. Well, we got back together. We got going again and we started out kind of slow, you know. Everybody seemed to take a little while sort of getting back in the groove of things. And, you know, God's been great. He's blessed. We've gone past where I ever thought we would go since then. God's blessing. Things are going great. And, and I'm encouraged in the Lord. I'm fired up to preach. I'm excited about preaching because, you know, when the house is full, when people are coming, uh, when God's blessing, it's really a blessing to preach. It's exciting to preach to people that want to hear you preach. You know what I mean? You're looking at a guy tonight who, in my estimation, is probably the strongest man in all the Bible. Outside of Jesus Christ, if you stop and think about it for just a minute it, and, and think about this man's life and ministry, we know Jeremiah as the weeping prophet, right? Everybody thinks of him as this broken down guy who's sitting around and, and bawling over the sin of Israel and, and weeping. But I think that's not a very fair perspective of Jeremiah, even though his eyes did run rivers of tears. His heart was very broken for God's people. He was, he was sorrowful over what had happened in Israel and how they've turned from God. And, and it ripped his guts out. But I'll tell you this much, in my eyes, Jeremiah is one of the strongest preachers in all the Bible. I don't ever want God to test my strength and find out if I got any Jeremiah in me at all. I'm content to just say, he's the man, let it go. Amen? Why? Because this man preached for 50 years. And as far as we know, he never had a convert. Now think about that for a minute. You pass out gospel tracts, you try to reach people? I do. <laughs> How about Trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying and trying with no results at all whatsoever, but continuing to try. This man got something in his crawl that he couldn't get out. 
And it's something that you and I need. And you'll notice what I want to preach to you out is the purpose of the potter's house. I want to preach to you on that thought tonight, the purpose of the potter's house. God tells Jeremiah that he wants him to go down to the potter's house and there's a purpose for it. God had called this man, Jeremiah, to preach in the 13th year of King Josiah. Now, get the picture and get the background here real quick before we get into the meat of the message this, this evening. The 13th year of King Josiah. Josiah is one of the greatest kings that Israel ever had. One of the greatest revivals in all the Bible came under the reign of King Josiah. What a blessing it would have been to have been a, a prophet of God, a preacher of God in the kingdom during that time. I mean, Josiah, he, folks, he was the man. You understand what I'm saying? He got in there when God got a hold of Josiah and he got right with God. He rent his clothes. He repented of the sin of Israel. He repented of the sins going on around him. The sin of God's people and God responded to Josiah's heart for God and said all right I won't bring judgment in your days I'll give peace in your time because of your relationship with me your desire to get right he went in there and got rid of the sodomites that were in the land he wasn't playing around you know what I find interesting about the story of Josiah it says they found the book in the house of the Lord Wait a second. Something's not adding up. How is it that the book was even lost if it was in the house of the Lord when they found it? That shows you the situation of the nation. That shows you what had been going on in that time. The book of the Lord was in the house of the Lord and they found it in the house of the Lord, but they had disregarded the Bible so much they didn't even pick it up when they went to church. They sat there with the lights dimmed and the screen up and they pulled it up on their phones if they were asked to, but they were not even expected to accept the word of God or realize that the word of God was even a priority. And when that book was found and read, Josiah said, man, we're in a mess. And he ran his clothes and he got right with God and he cleaned out the land. And in the 13th year of King Josiah, who reigned 31 years, God shows up to a man named Jeremiah. But according to the biblical way of laying things out, he wasn't even technically a man yet. Look at chapter number one. I'll show you what I'm talking about. Jeremiah chapter number one. As this book begins here in the middle of Josiah's revival, Josiah is tearing the thing up and, and God's blessing Israel and, and things are being uh, gotten straightened up and getting right and all the rest of that stuff. God shows up in Jeremiah chapter number 1, says the words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon king of Judah in the thirteenth year of his reign. See that? It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, God shows up to Jeremiah in that thirteenth year of the reign of King Josiah, and he says, this is what I want you to hear, boy. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. God said, before you were ever born, I knew who you were, I knew where you'd be, and I knew what my plans were for you, and I knew what I was going to do with you, and I knew the day, I knew the age, I knew the time, I knew how bad it was going to get, and I put you there, I knew you were there, I had it all planned out, here's what I want you to do, are you ready? You're going to be a prophet to the nations. Look at his response. Then said I, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. According to the biblical definition, 20 years old was when they would go off to war, right? 20 years old when they would be technically considered a man. He's probably a teenager at this point. God shows up to a young man and God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be a prophet unto the nations. And then interestingly enough, which we don't have the time to go through, but if you study it out slowly, it sure looks like nothing really happens too much as far as his preaching is concerned for like another 18 years. 
Because for 18 years, Israel's having this awesome revival. They're under King Josiah. Everything's going great in the land. He's ridden the land of the Sodomites. He's getting everything right. He's instituting the word of God. The worship is going on the right way in the temple. But you don't see any of that when you read Jeremiah's prophecies and read Jeremiah's history. We all say he's the one that had no converts. He's the one that all of it was negative. All of it was weeping. He's the weeping prophet, the emotional preacher. Somebody come to my church one time and they said, we got to leave our church. And I said, why? They said, because my pastor just can't even stand in the pulpit anymore and preach. He just sits on the platform on a chair and he cries. I said, well, what's, what's going on? They said, I don't know what's going on, but it's just ridiculous. If he can't preach, we're leaving. I thought, okay, something's going on there. Either that man, God's got him like, like in a vice. I mean, he's just like, God's just crushing his heart. And you need to stay there because he's a Jeremiah or he's having a nervous breakdown because of you and I don't want you in my church. Amen. (laughs) That's how we see Jeremiah though, isn't it? This weak, nervous wreck. Well, I mean, how can you call him weak when for all these years, for 50 years, spanning five wicked kings that came after Josiah, he stays there and he preaches 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 preaches to Israel because God said, this is what I want you to do. And he said, if that's what you've got for me, then that's what I'll do because you called me to do it. I'll give them your words, whether they hear or whether they will forbear. They're an impudent bunch of people. But if that's what you want, that's what I do. You're going to call that weak? You're going to mock him because he's the weeping prophet? I'm certainly not. This man for the remaining 32 and a half years of apostasy, he preaches against the priests for their idolatry. He preaches against the prophets for their false prophecies saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. God called a man in a very wicked time, in a time of apostasy, in a time of falling away, and God anointed a man to say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to attack everybody with the word of God, and I want you to hit every department that's out there. You're going after the priests. You're going after the prophets. You're going after the kings. You're going after the children of Israel. You're going to preach against your own family, and they're all going to be against you. They're going to work against you. They're going to conspire against you. They're going to get together to get you in jail and to wreck you, ruin you, and shut you up. Now that's your job. Now how about that? What if, crazy thought, what if God wants to call a young man to preach in 2022? And that means what if Just hypothetically speaking, what if that means you're never, ever, ever going to have a big church? What if that means you never have a massive YouTube page with a huge following? What if that means your people just kind of drag themselves in on Sunday morning, sit in the pew, Once in a while it's good and somebody says, hey man, or raises their hand like the girls do, you know. They can say amen too, but you know, they do this instead to be discreet, which is great, not mocking it. But what if that's it? Then we go home. I'll never forget one of the days that, that something clicked in my heart, and there's all kinds of clicks like this. It's not just like, this is really sounds bad. I'm real bad at this sometimes, toward my wife. I mean, it was just a next, a next step. You know what I mean? Another layer. It just got deeper. You understand what I'm saying, right, honey? <laughs> a preacher, a visiting preacher came in on a Wednesday night. It was about 6.30. We started at 7, and there wasn't a bunch of people there yet. And he said, where is everybody? And she said, what do you mean? He said, they should be here. It's 6.30 already. Where is everybody? She said, they work jobs. Yeah. They're coming. Well, they should be here already. She said, we're just glad they come on a Wednesday night. Even if they come late, they work jobs. You know, that's reality. You understand the day and time we're living in, right? What if if God calls you to be a preacher and asks you to be a preacher, and that means you're never going to be some record-setting big shot that everybody's going to love you and everybody's going to come and bow at your feet and ask you to sign their Bible and call you to preach all the camp meetings and be one of the boys 
just a preacher that goes and says, listen, priests, you're all wrong. Prophets, you're all wrong. Kings, you need to get it right. God's people, you're backslidden. You don't love God like you should. And just preaching the truth and everybody turns against you. Could you still do that for another 32 years without any signs of any fruit at all? Because God put you there to do it. Boy, I'll tell you what, I got a lot of respect for this guy. He does the job God gave him to do. And he's got what I think most of us men need today. He's got a tough hide. You know, men nowadays, I'm not, I'm not picking on you ladies. Men nowadays are soft. Sorry, I'm not trying to be a jerk. And I don't, I'm not trying to say you got to be some kind of an alpha male tough guy, you know, in the flesh. I'm saying men nowadays are soft. I mean, I wonder if God would want to call some men to preach, but they're so soft, he, he can't put them in the battle. They're not, even, they're not even tough enough to be a bullet stop. You know what I'm saying? They're just too soft. They're not willing to stand for Jesus Christ. They're not willing to stand with a King James Bible. They're not willing to stick by the stuff. So God's like, I, I can't find a man among them. All we got's a bunch of soft people that want to go with the flow everywhere they go. Jeremiah had a tough hide, but he had a soft heart. I want that. I don't want to be the tough guy preacher. I don't think that helps anybody. But I think if you're going to be called to preach and if you're going to follow God, that you got to have a little bit of a thick hide. The devil's after you. He's after God's people. He's after those that God wants to bring glory to the Lord. And you'll notice in the text, God tells this man, he says, I want you to get down to the potter's house. Notice who the word came to, the word which came, singular, which came to Jeremiah, came directly to a man that God called. God called this young man to preach back in chapter number one. And that's why God brought him the word. And God brings him the word. God brings him a message to go down to the potter's house because he's a man who trusted in God and refused to fear men. You know why you and I need the potter's house? You know why we need to be here tonight? Because the commandments of God. You know, God has said some things. God's given us his word the Word of God is, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's what we need more now today than we've ever needed it in the history of this country. The church needs the Bible more because it's less and less being preached. We need to find the Word of God and get down to the potter's house and hear the preaching. I want the Word of God to come to me and the Word of God comes to a man that hears the call of God, not necessarily just to preach, hears the call of God to come to God and the word of God will come to that man and God will give you more of his word if you're a person who fears God and trusts God. Look at chapter 17 and verse number 5. Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. For he shall be like the heath in the desert and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land and not inhabit it. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when the heat cometh. But her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. So he's saying, here's a man that trusts in God, that gets to where God is, that stays by those living waters that we preached about last night. The man that really draws nigh to God and trusts in the Lord, he's going to do fine in the drought. And folks, we are in a drought. Amen. Spiritually speaking, it's dry, man. It's funny to me, God's people don't even know what preaching is anymore. Amen. The preachers, not yours. The preachers don't know what preaching is. They don't open up the Bible and just get in the Bible and give God's people the Bible. Everybody's got a nice little fancy thought for you. 
Everybody's got nice little artwork and PowerPoints and all the rest of this stuff, but very rarely do you go somewhere and they say, open your Bibles. The preacher's standing there saying, I love this book. I love this King James Bible. It's the Word of God. This Bible's my life. I thank God for the Bible, pointing God's people to the Word of God. You are in a drought, and spiritually speaking, it's getting drier and drier. And if we are going to be in the potter's house, we've got to realize, if we want God's hand on our life, that we've got to be here because the commandments of God are... Are here we got to come to church because the Bible's being preached and if you want the word of God you're going to be like this man notice the next verse in chapter 17 the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it we all know that verse but it's interesting to me the context in which that verse appears he's talking about a, a good man who trusts in the Lord who's planted Then God says in verse 9, now listen, I understand something about all of you. I understand that the heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. I get that. But look at the next verse, verse number 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. He's saying, listen, there's a man that trusts in me and his heart fights against him, doesn't it? Doesn't your heart give you trouble? It gives me trouble, man. I'm telling you, it gives me all kinds of trouble. I get an attitude with God sometimes when the attendance is down. I get get to pout and I get to complain. Where is everybody? And Why didn't they show up? And I'm preaching my guts out and they're up north again. Well, they're locked up all winter long. Can't go anywhere. Yeah, in the summer, they go up north. Give them a break. Boy, I get an attitude, man. The devil will get on me sometimes while I'm standing in the back of the church before I can even get in the pulpit to preach. And I'll say, man, my heart ain't right. I can't do this. And God says, be faithful and go do what I told you to do. I try the hearts. And you're here anyways and you're trying to do what's right. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. You know what God's doing? He's trying hearts. The word of God came to a man who obeyed God, was called of God, refused to fear men and loved God and trusted God, but a man also who loved the Bible. Look back at chapter number 15 and verse number 16. Jeremiah 15, 16, he says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. God says, Jeremiah, I got a message for you. I got a word for you. I want you to come down to the potter's house. Because if you come to the potter's house, I'm going to take that word and I'm going to give you some words in the potter's house. And Jeremiah had set a habit earlier in his life of feeding on the words of God. Somewhere back there in those early 18 years when he was probably 19, 20 years old or so, and the first 18 years, he saw an example of, an older guy, of, a, of a guy in higher position of authority named Josiah who found the word of God and fell in love with it. And he saw what God did with a man who found the word of God and fell in love with it. And by seeing that man and that man's ministry and that man's life and all the fruit that God gave that man, something got instilled in Jeremiah that was between him and God. When everyone walked out, he had already walked in. Because he had learned for years beforehand in the good times He had learned by watching the blessings and power of God when the fruit was flowing and the church house was full and God's people were rejoicing. He had remembered that time and he saw what was happening was a result of the power of the words of Almighty God. And he found the book of God and he said, I did eat them and they brought joy to my heart, rejoicing to my soul when it's just me and God and nobody else and nothing else, just the book. Man, is it a great thing. I love that Bible. I don't have to have a church house full. I got a particular spot at my house where I go and I sit. I'm not old, so those of you that are older, please don't roll your eyes at me because I know I'm just a kid. Amen? 44 years young, right? You know what's aggravating about this whole thing? I was told for years that a man don't know nothing until he's 40. Right? It takes 40 years to make a message because it takes God 40 years to make a man. I couldn't wait to be 40. 
because I had finally arrived. I had all the wisdom of the ages. I am 40 years old now. And now it's like, oh, you're just a kid. It's like, am I ever going to arrive? What do I got to do, die to be something? You know what I mean? I asked my wife this morning, and I said, how do you feel? She said, same as yesterday. I said, you look much smarter this morning. <laughs> Here's Jeremiah, all those years, man, he's sitting there, and he's soaking up that book, and he's eating that book, and he's feeding on that book. I'm, I'm at a point in my life where I have a certain routine that I just do. It's just the way I do things, right? Can anybody relate? Amen. I get up at a certain time, no alarm clock. I go right to, God forgive me, the coffee pot. The coffee doesn't come before the Lord. It just enhances the experience. You know what I mean? <laughs> I got a certain chair that I sit in. Don't hold this against me, fellas, okay? I have a blanket I put on my lap. It's just because I can use it to prop my Bible at the right ankle, okay? It's not for comfort or anything like that. Indians wrap themselves in blankets, and they'll stink and scalp you, so don't make fun of my blanket, all right? I, I, got a, I, I got a specific, it's the right, if I can't, there can be blankets all over the living room. Where's my blanket? You understand what I'm saying? And that's my spot that I sit in. I even have a light there that's the right kind of light, and I have to move it to the right space. And when you plug, the, it's one of those you step on to turn on and step on them to turn off, but it, it, the cord's long enough to where I can loop it from the outlet to my chair, so I just lean over the side of my chair and I just push the button. When somebody vacuums the living room and moves my, they get in trouble because you didn't put it back. You got it? This is, my, this, is my, this is my routine. This is my place. This is what I do. This is where I sit down and I say, God, the world can be falling in, but I say, God, I know what I got in my lap. And I know it's the perfect words of Almighty God. And this morning I need something. My words were found and I did eat them. And they're the joy and rejoicing of my heart. You know what I've figured out? I've figured out a full church house does not make a preacher happy. Honestly, it's exciting, okay? I'm not going to pretend it's not. I'm not going to try to, you know, act so spiritual in the church. It definitely does impact me, and it is a blessing, but I have realized that the reality of God growing a church and giving you more and more people to minister to and the workload over the long haul that comes with that, that is not what makes a man happy. What makes a man happy is where He's found the words of God and he did eat them and that word was the joy and rejoicing of his heart for I call, I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I'm his and he's mine. This is a man that fell in love with the words of God. Go to Jeremiah chapter number 20. He's bringing him down to the potter's house. We're getting to that in just a second. But I want you to see what went into making Jeremiah the man that was so strong he could have sustained such a long ministry with nothing in it for him at all. Jeremiah chapter number 20, look at verse 7. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed, and I am in derision daily. Every one mocketh me. That's his life. That's the man's life. Do you, how many of you like being mocked? Have you ever noticed that when they're going through all those things in the, in, in the book of Hebrews that, that the people went through and you got sawn asunder and you got stoned and you got imprisoned and you got destitute and you got hungry and you got all these major things they went through, you and I will say, we'll say, well, as Americans, we've never had to go through all that stuff. We've really had it so good. What opportunity do we really have to show the Lord and suffer for the Lord? And Do you ever notice in the list of all those things what's, what's in there? It says cruel mockings. God lined up cruel mockings as a torture with imprisonment, sawn asunder, starving, because he knows what it does to an individual when everybody mocks you and ostracizes you because you're wired to be around other people. You're wired to care about what people think. You're wired to want approval. You're wired to want a compliment. You're wired to want that camaraderie and to need a family around you and a herd around you. That's the way you're wired. And when you get ostracized and cut apart and mocked and made fun of and you're the weirdo every time you walk in the room, that is a, that is a torture. He said, God, everyone mocks me. Everywhere I go, I'm embarrassed. Everywhere I go, I stand out. Everywhere I go, I'm the weirdo. Everywhere I go, I'm alone. 
God, you called me to this thing and I gave myself to you from an early age in my life and I was told that if I served you, I was going to get all the blessings the world has to offer. I heard it preached, but it ain't turned out that way. Verse 8, for since I spake, I cried out, I cried violence and spoil. He's preaching against them. Because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me in a derision daily. You believe that Bible? You Bible thumpers? Now listen to me carefully. The generation that we're in, it will not be long before the fact that you carry a Bible could make you a major target. You do understand that. You see how fast this thing is spinning off the stinking globe off into left field and it's accelerating every day. You wait till these little ones get old enough to be running the show and that's going to happen 10, 15, 20 years. Just give it a little time. You're going to be made a target out of and I wouldn't be shocked if the Bible was illegal in this nation before too long. Probably in my lifetime, it wouldn't shock me a bit. Oh, you're overdoing it, preacher, you know. They always say, I was trying to fear monger us. You know the old-timey preachers used to prophesy about what was going to happen in this country, and it's happening? And it's funny to me that Bible believers all over the place are getting discouraged and dropping out because how bad it's getting, how bad it's getting, how bad it's getting. When we preached for years, it was going to get bad, and now it's happening. We ought to say, "Woo! praise the Lord. We got the right book. We told you it was coming, and we've been telling you Jesus is coming, and he's still coming. So you better get ready and stay faithful and stand strong because he's going to split that eastern sky, and I want to be in the fight when he shows up. Now everybody's freaking out. Don't freak out. It's okay. It's a good thing, man. I'm happy. Why? Because I got his words. I'm happy. I'm honored that God would call me to preach in 2022 and allow me to pastor a church in 2022 with all that's going on in this nation and all that's coming up against us and all that we're going to be facing. I am honored that Almighty God would count me faithful and put me in the ministry and I'm crying out to Him to get the book in my soul and help me stand strong even if everybody abandons. I want to stay the course with God. He made up his mind he was going to, but look at the fit he's in right now. He's in a mess. He's dry. He's frustrated. Look at verse 9. Then I, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. He didn't say, I'm done with God. That's not what he said. He did not say, I quit. He said, I'm not going to mention him. And I'm not going to speak in his name. In other words, he's saying, I already told them, if they don't want it, why should I even try? That's what he said. He's not quitting on God. I'm not quitting. Preacher, I'm not quitting. I, I, just, I just meeting with God in my, in my sailboat. I, just, I meet with God in the deer blind. I'm still a King James Bible believer. I'm not quitting on God. I'm just done with the church. I'm done with the potter's house. I don't need that anymore. Yes, you do, because this is where the words of God are, and you need the words of God. You need to get down here. You need to be faithful. It doesn't matter if everybody else quits. You should not quit, because the words of God are coming from this pulpit. This is where you ought to be. So I'm not, I'm not talking about him anymore, but there was a problem. Look at the problem, verse 9. But his word was in my heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. He said, something had got down in me from an early age, and I remember when Josiah found that Bible, and something had been triggered in my heart when God was blessing, and when things were going good, something had been planted down deep in me, and man, I said, I ain't talking about him anymore, but when I heard the defaming, when I heard him talking about God like that, when I heard him cussing the Lord like that, verse 10, for I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side, report say they, and we will report. Anybody get that? Report say they, and we will report. News reports. You see what the whole nation was obsessed with? Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to watch the news. It just kind of is. 
If you watch the news, you'll, force to have, you'll be forced to have sin come in your face. I pulled up that dumb app today. It's like a drug, you know what I mean? It's like a temptation you can't hardly resist. I pulled up that dumb app today, and you know what I saw? Church in Florida. Come on, you saw it too. Church in Florida. Hosting a child's event where drag queens are going to be there to speak to the children. In a church. LGBTQXYZ deal and the drag queens are there to talk to the kids about all these different subjects. It's a church-hosted event. You know what the preachers were prophesying years ago when everybody said they were crazy? Oh, they're crazy. Oh, they're just making so much more out of it. That there would be wicked, filthy, abominable sins that I'll, I'll spare you. I'll be gentle with it. But abominable sins taking place in the house of God. That's what they were prophesying. Some of them have passed away in the last 10, 20 years. But they told us it was going to happen, and you're seeing it on your news today. It's going to get worse and worse and worse if the Bible's true. So you need that book in you because God has called us and put us here at this time so that we can be the last little bit of light this world ever sees and be a preacher of righteousness 120 days if we get nobody but our family through and even if you don't even have that. Because Jeremiah had to be tougher than Noah because he didn't even have a family. Noah at least had them. Ain't it a blessing to have a family around you? Sure is strengthening and helping. All my familiars watched from my halting, verse 10, saying, Peradventure he will be enticed. They were hoping he'd fall. They were hoping he'd quit. They were hoping he'd fail. We shall prevail against him. We'll take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me. You see it? And everyone walks out. That's when he walks in. The Lord is with me as a mighty, terrible one. Therefore my persecutors shall tremble and they shall not prevail. They shall be greatly ashamed for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. You know what he was? He was a man who loved the book. So you know what God does with him? God takes him down in verse number 18 to the potter's house. And look at verse number 1. It says, the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. So when he got down to the potter's house, a message came. The word. Now what everybody wants to tell you all the time is that it's just sort of the message that matters, right? It's not the words that matter. It's the message. It's the general overall sort of means the same thing, right? So, okay, here you go. The word came to him. God gave him a message that was sort of a general thing. He said, I want you to get down to the potter's house. Here's just a, a topic I'm giving you. Go to the potter's house. What would have happened if he wouldn't have done what God told him to do? It's not a trick question. If he wouldn't have done what God told him to do, he wouldn't have got anything more. Because God told him to go to the potter's house. If he didn't go to the potter's house, he gets nothing else. God gave you a commandment and you didn't do it, He will not speak to you again until you do what He already told you to do. Amen. You know how often Christians get caught in that? You know why you need the potter's house? Because when you get to the potter's house, when you get down here and God starts speaking to your heart, He'll give you something to do. He'll show you something that's wrong with you, something you need to work on, something you need to change, something He wants you to do. And man, every time, boy, I don't know that there's ever been a time when God told me something He wanted me to do that I was like, Yes! I don't understand people that sit back and say, you know what, I want to be a preacher's wife. Some, some women think that way. I want to be the preacher's wife. I think, I, think, I think God's going to call my husband to preach. The Lord showed me that he's going to call him to preach. You're on crack. You lost your marbles, man. Most preachers that I know had God call them to preach. And they were like, ah, I can't. I'm a child. I got a stutter problem. You know what happened when I got called to, to preach and, and became a pastor? You know what people told me? Mike, don't pastor. You can't be a pastor. You know, I, I'm sure that God has something for you, but it's not pastoring. Seriously. I mean, like, seriously discouraging me. It's not in you to be a pastor. Pastors have to love people. Pastors have to be sweet. Pastors have to be caring. But you know what God does? God chooses the weak things. God chooses the base things. 
God takes a man from where he doesn't want to be and puts him somewhere. He finds out, yes, this is exactly where I wanted to be. I just didn't know I wanted to be here because God's doing something in me. This is what God called me to do. And when I have God in it, it's wonderful. And if God ain't in it, I don't want to be in it. I'll see you later. You can have it. God takes this man and puts him down in the potter's house. The word of God comes to him and he says, go down to the potter's house. So what does he do? He arises and he goes down to the potter's house. And then you'll notice that next thing that happens, he says, when I, I arise, go down to the potter's house and I will cause thee there to hear my words. So the word came to him in verse 1. And in verse 5, then the word of the Lord came to me again. But in between, he said, in the potter's house, you're going to hear my words. You know why you need to be here? The commandments of God. The Word of God. It's literally that simple. It's not fair to the pastor. Okay? Uh, since I'm not your pastor, then I hopefully can take this liberty. Okay? It's not fair to the pastor to hold every church service in this expectation that it's got to be a certain thing every time. Does, does that make sense? Not every church service can be like, you know, some great revival meeting. Some wonderful man. Pastor knocked it out of the park this morning. That was just a wonderful message. That isn't reality. I know your pastor. I know myself. We hold ourselves to a higher standard than probably most people hold us to. But not every service has to be something super exciting and knocking it out of the park. And, oh, that was amazing. I never saw that before. You were really fired up today. I'll never forget as a little boy, my heart used to break for my dad. Because he'd always get done preaching, he'd go to the back and he'd stand there and he'd shake hands. And there was one particular guy in the church that every Sunday, every Sunday, had a, a joke about the message. And I used to watch him, man. I, I knew, we got in the car and I knew, and I'd stand kind of across the doorway from him and I'd just stand there and watch. And I could see him try to smile and do the pastor thing and be nice and, and all that stuff. But I could see the life getting just pulled, the devil getting in his head and just pulling the life out of my dad. And he'd laugh and joke. And the guy, every week, he'd say, well, you could have done better, but that wasn't too bad. I guess I'll come back next week. I've heard better, but you know, you're my second favorite preacher. <laughs> I used to sit there as a little boy and think, man, Great to beat him up. <laughs> you know that's not fair to the pastor. You know the potter's house isn't about entertainment. It isn't about your favorite preacher. It isn't about grading the quality of the message and if he could or couldn't have done better. You know what it's about? Just getting a little bit of something from God. And if he's opening up that Bible and trying to give you a little bit of something from God, then you should be in the potter's house. Why? Because of the commandments of the Lord. When you come, God will give you a little bit this week and a little bit next week and a little bit the next week and a little bit next year and a little bit the year after. And before you know it, you won't even recognize yourself with a little bit of time. I don't believe in all this junk. You know, I can sit home and live stream it. Our online church community. There's no such thing. We live stream, and I'm grateful for it because when people are sick or, or, or in the hospital or they really can't make it, I mean, I tell my church family, if you can't make it, that's what it's there for. So that means, like, your legs got blown off, right? You can't be in church. You see what I'm saying? Like, you know, you, you, you are literally, like, you're dying. You know, you're hooked up to the IV, and they're doing that stuff on your chest to try to keep your heart going. You couldn't be here. We understand. Watch it live stream. You know what I mean? But it's not the same. You know what the devil's done with all that stuff? He's using that stuff probably more than God's using it. Well, we can just, we'll, we'll sit home, but we'll watch it. He said, arise, go to the potter's house. Now, if you can't get there, it's real good to sit down and turn it on. Amen? Like, we can't make it, but I'm going to be there. I'm going to watch. I'm going to ask God to give me something, and I, I'm not against that. You understand what I'm saying, right? I'm thinking like a pastor right now. I'm not trying to hurt nobody or you know, get stupid. That's what it's there for, the people that can't make it. But if you can make it, and you're being lazy, and you know God told you to get there, but you ain't getting there, you ain't getting nothing from God. You got the message already, and you're not taking the message you got, you're not getting the words. 
God gets him down to the potter's house and gets him in a little bit deeper. You'll notice something else about the potter's house. Look down at verse number 13. you got the commandments of the Lord, but the potter's house is also meant to help us cleave unto the Lord. Verse number 13, Therefore thus saith the Lord, Ask ye now among the heathen who hath heard such things. The virgin of Israel hath done a very horrible thing. Will a man leave the snow of Lebanon which cometh from the rock out of the field? Or shall the cold flowing waters that come from another place be forsaken? Because my people have forgotten me. They burn incense to vanity. They've caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths. To walk in paths in a way not cast up. To make their land desolate and a perpetual hissing. Everyone that passeth thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. I'll scatter them as the east wind before the enemy. I'll show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. You know what God's saying? Verse 14, here's the point. My people have forsaken me. He said, get down to the potter's house because when you're there, I'm going to give you some words. I'm going to show you an example that we'll get to in just a minute and we'll close out with that example. I'm going to show you an example in the potter's house, but here's the message I want you to get. I want you down to the potter's house because I want you to understand that when you get there, I'm doing a work at that potter's house that's going to cause you to cleave unto me. I don't want you to forsake me. Isn't it funny how, look, the devil's subtle, right? He's more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. Now think about that for a second. So if he's going to do a work, you're not going to see it coming. You understand that? By the time he gets his arms around your throat, you will not get him off your back. He will choke you to death. It'll be so smooth you won't even think you need to get him off your back. You won't notice it. He'll, he'll turn up that heat and that pressure really gradually and he'll keep turning it up until all of a sudden you're just kind of like, you're just kind of, just, I just, oh, forget it. He'll get a good grip on you and he'll hold that grip and make you wrestle just a little bit and then tighten it up, tighten it up, tighten it up, tighten it up. And by the time he's got you, you're like, man, I'm just, what's wrong? I'm just tired. Nothing's really wrong. I'm just tired. You going to church, honey? No, I'm really wore out. I, not tonight. I'll be there next time. Well, why not? I, what's wrong? Nothing. I'm just tired. What had happened is the pressure had built up so much, the distraction it had come so much, and you didn't see what he was slowly doing to you, and now you're not, you're not even in it anymore. He has done this to a whole generation. We have gotten so distracted by all the entertainments that there is. We've gotten so distracted by the addictions that we carry around in our hands. I had a conversation with your preacher this afternoon. He scared me half out of my mind. You want to understand technology and how it works, talk to him, okay? I'm not even going to try to fill that thing in because that was like way over my head, but it was the truth. He's talking about how demonic that stuff is. And it is unbelievably demonic. I don't have time to read my Bible. I guarantee you, if you look at your phone and see how much time you spent on your phone and see how many hours you spent with your face addicted to a device from the devil, you have time to read your Bible. Amen. I didn't have any time to pray. I guarantee you, you did. You did have time to pray today. And 365 days in a year, there's probably one where things get so insane that you literally don't have time to pray. And then you could have given up your sleep time to do so. You see what happens? It's so sneaky, folks, that all of a sudden he's got us forsaking God. He just weaned us off the words of God. He weaned us off the fellowship of the saints. He weaned us off the good songs. He weaned us off the preaching. He kept us so distracted and busy doing so many things that we forgot to cleave to the Lord. And you need the potter's house because when you come here, it reminds you about your personal fellowship with Jesus Christ. It reminds you how important you and God alone are. Jeremiah would have never made it if he didn't have the Lord just like that in every part of his life never would have made it he said the problem is my people have forsaken Lebanon ain't that interesting most people read there I don't understand those prophets well Lebanon is a mountain range the bottom of that mountain range is Mount Hermon we preached on last night 
Lebanon throughout your Bible is a very fruitful area. It's a place where God intended for the, for the, the crops to be growing, for God's people to be healthy and, and all this beautiful, rich and lush area that God has. And you know what you and I got in the potter's house? When you got a place where God shows up and his hands are working on you, you know what you've got right here? You got Lebanon. You got something flowing down from Mount Hermon that'll feed your soul and strengthen you and help you with time. And God's people have forsaken it. We need the potter's house because we need to cleave unto the Lord. You know, it's not the pastor's job to grow the church. That's not my job. I want my church to grow, but that is not. The Lord said, I will build my church. You know what my job is? It's really simple. It ain't to entertain them. My job is not to be their favorite preacher. My job is to get in that book and get as much as I can from that Bible, as clearly laid out as I can, find a message in that thing from God, pray over that message, and then give them what God gave me to give them in the words of God. That's my job. To make it a place where they can come and they can grow as much as they want to. That's what he's here to do. He's here to week after week after week lay out the Bible, throw out the seed, fertilize the crop, water the ground so that you can get in the house of God and you can grow and you can get as close to God as you want to get. That's Lebanon. But it's also a place of God's presence. He says, get down to the potter's house. I'm going to show you something in the potter's house. Go back with me quickly to chapter number 13. We'll come back here to uh, chapter 18 and we'll finish up in just a minute. Look at chapter number 13. I want you to see verse number 1. Thus saith the Lord unto me, Go and get thee a linen girdle, and put it upon thy loins, and put it not in water. So I got a girdle according to the word of the Lord, and I put it on my loins. He said, Don't put it in water, don't moisten the girdle. The word of the Lord came to me again the second time, Take the girdle that thou hast, God, which is on thy loins, and arise, go to Euphrates, hide it there in the hole of a rock. So I went and hid it by Euphrates, and the Lord, as the Lord commanded me. It came to pass after many days, the Lord said, Arise, go to Euphrates, take the girdle from thence, which I commanded thee to hide there. I went to Euphrates and digged and took the girdle from the place where I hid it, and behold, the girdle was marred, and it was profitable for nothing. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. And this people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them and to worship them, shall be even as this girdle which is good for nothing. For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that they might be unto me for a people and for a name and for a praise and for a glory. But watch it. But they would not hear. God said, Jeremiah, let's go back to Jeremiah 18 and we'll finish up the message. He said, Jeremiah, I want you to go down there and I want you to get a girdle. I want you to put it on, but don't moisten it. You know what that moistens a type of, right? So we talked about last night being dry. It's being watered with the word of God. He said, talk about being, show them about being close. Show them about Jesus and about God, but don't give them any Bible. Go ahead and get them to come to church but don't give them any Bible. Go ahead and pack out amphitheaters, but don't give them any Bible. That's what that's a type of. Now take that girdle off and go bury it, and it's going to rot, and it's going to mar. And I want to show them what happens when they don't cleave to me because I want my people close to me. My desire is to fellowship with my church. My desire is to walk with those men and to walk with those ladies and to have a close relationship but I want, to show, I want you to show them what they've actually done. You know, he said in 6.16, he says, Stand in the way and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But you know what they said? Ain't going to walk that way. You know what the old paths is? It's the preaching of the word of God. You know why a lot of people don't want to come to a church like this? They're going to get Bible. You know what will happen to you if you don't get Bible? You're going to dry out. You won't, you won't stay close to Jesus Christ without the words of God. That lovey-dovey feeling and that, you know, that, and that oh, it's a great, you know, service and all this kind of stuff, this modern-day junk, it doesn't draw people close. It dries them out. 
You know what you and I need? We need that old-time religion. You know why you need the house of God? You need to draw close to God. You need to cleave to God. And when you get down here and you get in a church like this and you hear the Bible preached and he starts showing you through that passage and showing you what that book says, you start realizing, man, that is me. Man, I've been spending way too much time on my phone. Man, I haven't been praying like I ought to be praying. Man, I've lost my love for the Word of God like I used to. I used to listen to all kinds of messages on sermon audio and driving around in my car and I'm not listening to preaching much anymore. And There's a distance coming between me and God and I think I'm spiritually beginning to rot. And most people, they don't, they don't want to hear that anymore. You need the potter's house because it'll help you cleave to the Lord. Now look at the last thing and we'll wrap it up for tonight. Look at chapter 18 in the book of Jeremiah. He said, And then I went to the potter's house and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. You know what I like about that? That thing shows you that that potter's house, he says, come on down here, I'm going to show you what I'm doing in the potter's house. What they would have in that day is they'd have like a, a wall set up with a seat on it that was sort of at an angle, and they'd have this, this spindle that would go down in between two plates. The bottom plate was made of rock, and it was a wheel. It says in the passage, I'll rot a work on the wheels. You see the plural? Every word of God's pure. It says wheels on purpose. Because in the bottom was a rock, and the, the bottom of that shaft would have a pointed end that would stick into a little socket in the ground, and, and there'd be a big rock wheel there that he would use to move his foot. He'd move his, spin that wheel with his foot, while the other foot would be braced up against a, the, the ground, would be kind of come up like that, so he'd be sitting on a chair against the wall on this kind of an angle. This foot would be up. The, another wheel would be on top of that spindle that would come up here, and that's where the pottery would sit. And he'd be spinning that thing with his other foot. He says, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, didn't he? You know what your foundation you're built on is? It's a rock. And on top of that thing is a spinning plate, and sitting on that plate's a vessel. And while that plate continues to spin, God's working on his vessels. That's you and me. You know what's happening? This world's still spinning. He's the one still keeping it going. It ain't over yet. The day's coming. He's going to burn this mess up. And I'm looking forward to that day. But he ain't done it yet. He's still keeping the thing spinning. And while he's still keeping this thing spinning, you know what he's got? He's got some people still in this world that are his vessels in a great house. They're not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth. And some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. You know what God's doing in the potter's house? He's got his hands on those people that will hear his word and come down to the potter's house. And you know what God's trying to do tonight and through this church and through all you got going on here and the pastor that God's given you and the work that God's been doing and all that God's... Man, it's amazing to hear the stories. Joe's been telling me, oh, that guy got saved here and that guy got saved a little bit before he came here and that guy came here a couple of years ago. And what's God doing? He's got his hands on those vessels and he's making something out of you. And you know what he does? He looks at that vessel and he goes, hmm, it's marred. Every one of us is still marred. So what they'll do is they'll oftentimes take that vessel out when they're not done with it. And sometimes if there's nothing they can do with it, they throw it out in the potter's field. There's a whole sermon on that, but we won't go there. And it's just shattered. It's cast away. But other vessels, they'll set out in the potter's field and they'll let them dry. And they'll go back out there and they'll get them and bring them back in and work on them some more. You know what he's doing in the potter's house tonight? He's trying to take you and I and mold us a little more into his image and make it again as it seems good to the potter to make it. You know what I've figured out in my life? As much as this stinks, it takes 20 years to make a message because it takes 20 years to make a man. I believe that. I understand the truth of some of that. I get what he, what the, what's being taught there. I really do. But you know what I found out? Right when God's got me where he wants me to use me today, I'm like, okay, good. This is where God wants me and I'm fulfilling God's will. He says, okay, since you're listening and you're responding, I got more for you. So guess what we got to do? I hate this. I'm, I promise you, I hate this. We got to go back to the wheel. Really, Lord? Yeah, because I got to get my hands on you again, and I got to, I got to start changing some things that aren't, aren't right. Why? Because I have more for you to do. You're filling up this far, but there's a crack, and I'd like to get you filled up this much. 
so I can do some more with you, so i got to get you back on the wheel. And as long as you'll get back to the potter's house and say, you know what, I'm on the wheel, I'm yours. Lord, work on me, change me, mold me, make me. I'm listening, I'm hearing your words, I'm trying to stay close, I'm doing what you want. God, please don't give up on me, God, please don't give up on me. Then God will put his hands on you and he'll start making you again. You see, the point of the message is it has nothing to do with the results. I hope souls keep getting saved at our church and at your church. I hope it keeps growing. I think it will. I don't think God's done yet saving souls. You know that? I'm not trying to depress you beyond imagination, okay? I don't think he's done saving souls. But the way I look at it is if I can accept worst case scenario and say, Lord, this is it. If this is worst case scenario, I'll sign up. I'm, I'm in. I'm in worst case scenario, God, because if you will be there, if you will mold me, if you will make me, if you will walk with me, if you will fellowship with me, if you will be my joy, if you will be my comfort, that's all I need. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. And I accept worst case scenario, then I can make it. Because when he brings the blessing in, it just fires me up even more. Amen. Will you sign up tonight and say, Lord, I'm going to stay in the potter's house. You spoke to my heart, God. I want to cleave unto Jesus Christ. I want to hear that word. You've touched me in some areas, God. I want to, you to put me back on the wheel. Break me all the way down if you need to and build me again to make me usable for your honor and glory. You want to go to the next step with God? You've got to be willing to get in the potter's house and stay on the wheel. Let's bow our heads tonight, if you would, please, for a word of prayer. If the Lord's speaking to your heart as the musicians are coming, why don't you respond to the Lord? Give you an opportunity to talk to Him. Stay on the wheel. Let God work on you. Don't quit. Don't let the devil get you so discouraged nowadays and so dried out and so frustrated. And Don't let that slow little process of, of that drying, that slow little process of separation, those distractions, those little things, don't let them get in there so much that you start forgetting God. Get back on that wheel again. Hear those commandments. Cleave unto the Lord. Ask Him to take you as His girdle and to wash you in the water of the Word of God and to saturate you in the Holy Spirit of God to make you pliable so you can wrap in closer to the Lord and cleave unto the Lord. That is the purpose of what we're trying to do here tonight. The work of God in the potter's house. Let Him work on you. Let Him make you.